0: Let's open our Bibles, please, if you will, to the book of Revelation, the 11th chapter. I'm going to have to do some more reading to bring us down to where we are, because uh, of one reason we expounded on the last part of what we read, and then there's some things we need to go back and pick up. So let's read, beginning with verse 1. Uh, down to verse 7, if you will. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread under foot forty and two months. The last... Half of the great tribulation, forty-two months, three hundred—I mean, twelve hundred sixty days, three and a half years. The Gentile will tread underfoot that holy city, and that's what was left, of course, uh, unmeasured. And it says in verse three, "And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, closed in sackcloth." These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before uh, the God of the earth. We'll come back to that verse because that's the particular verse we did not expound. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will uh, hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, And have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now we expounded down at least that far, but I want you to drop back to verse 4. These two witnesses that we've already talked about in our last lesson. And some of you were not here, I think, uh, were Moses and Elijah, or at least two witnesses in the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah. They were two actual individuals. They were not some mystical type of thing. They were two individuals that will come on the scene. And uh, they will have the same credentials as Moses and Elijah had in the Old Testament. They will be able to do the miracles that both of them did in verse 6 to shut up heaven, then to smite the earth with plagues, as did Moses and Elijah. And we'll find that uh, we've already expounded that, and I don't want to go back and retrace it, but verse 4 tells us that these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now for this information, turn back to the book of Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, and if you don't have time to turn or... Yet you'd rather listen to me, I'll read uh, a portion there. First of all, let's identify the candlesticks and then the two olive trees. Look at verse 2. Zechariah 4, verse 2. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it. And there's seven lamps thereon, and the seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top. Thereof, And verse 3 says, And the two olive trees by it. Now then, uh, down in verse 4, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then he goes on to answer. In verse 6, he says, the last part of verse 6, That it is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Drop down to verse 11 now. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees? The question has still not been answered, only in part. But in verse 11, he asked again, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be these two olive branches which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves, And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. He had asked him two or three times. So he says, Then said he, and here's the answer. These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. The anointed ones means sons of oil, or symbolical of the anointing of the Spirit of God, because in verse 6 he said, It's not by might, nor by power but by my spirit saith the lord of hosts so these two witnesses back now in revelation 11:4 and you can turn back there now it says these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the god of the earth so zechariah prophesied of two individuals that would have this power they would have this anointing and here in the book of revelation you find that they are revealed we find that we've already identified them as having the credentials of Moses and Elijah of the Old Testament and given a lengthy uh, uh, bit of exposition about that. So we'll have to contend ourselves with picking up now with verse 7. Revelation 11, verse 7. And if some of you were not here when we talked about the two uh, witnesses... We can talk to you some more about that, uh, in private if you, uh, would like, because we've already expounded at length on that. So in Revelation 11, verse 7, now it says, And when they shall have finished their testimony, that's very important to stop there for just a moment. When they shall have finished their testimony, so I want you to notice back in verse 3, I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. So if they prophesy in the last three and a half years, when they have finished their testimony, the incident we're talking about now in verse seven takes place at the end of that three and a half years. So it's right on the end of their ministry when all these things begin to culminate. Which is. Quite a while later in time. So when this happens, it says, the beast, look at verse 7 the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit, we're going to identify him in a little bit, shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So here's one that had the key of the bottomless pit. And here over in 11, verse 7, this beast ascends out of the bottomless pit. Now then in verse 8, and by the way, we'll have some more to say about that later on. Because in Revelation... Before I read verse 8, there's so many thoughts about this running through my mind, I better give you a little bit of explanation. But in Revelation 13, verse 1, you have a beast arising out of the sea. And also in Revelation 13, you have a beast rising up out of the land. The earth of the land. And these two beasts... These two great powers, great individuals, the first one rising up out of the sea, and I don't want to give full interpretation now, but it's out of the sea of nations uh, that he rises, and he's the leader or emperor of the revived Roman Empire. And then you come on down, I believe it's verse 11, I'm not looking at it right now, but I believe it's verse 11, where there's a beast that rises up out of the, the earth. And actually, it means the land, or the land of Palestine. And this is the Antichrist, the beast, of the false prophet. And you'll find him. Now, some disagree and think the first one is the Antichrist, but we'll get into that when we get there and show you why we believe differently. But uh, regardless of that, there are two wicked powers, that, wicked men that rise up in the 13th chapter. And you'll find that uh, this one that rises up, out of the land of Palestine. And we can tie you in with the book of Daniel to show you that he must be a Jew. He must be uh, of uh, the Jewish race or Israel or the Jewish people would not accept him as the Messiah. They accept him but as the false Messiah. He's the false Messiah, but they accept him as the Messiah. So all of this stuff you hear, and maybe, maybe this is a good time to camp there, All this stuff you hear about certain individuals that are not Jews being the Antichrist today. If you'll just check out the Scriptures, this is not to be. He's not going to be a Gentile power in the first place. He's going to be a Jew. Because he makes a covenant with the Jews for three and a half years. And he breaks that covenant. Now, he's on the scene all the while, but he makes that covenant and he breaks that covenant in the midst of the tribulation period. But what you see is a seven-year period of tribulation, and he's already appeared on the scene and we have the details of it in Revelation 13. And what happens, he breaks that covenant with Israel. Well, he couldn't make a covenant with them as their Messiah... If, they, if he were not of the, their race. so you, And I'll give you some scripture when we get there in the book of Daniel to show you that. But let's notice what happens to these two witnesses. In verse 8, you have a, chapter 11, verse 8. After they're killed, these two witnesses will be killed. It says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Now, that would that would sound something else if you didn't read the last statement. It says, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, there was a Sodom and Gomorrah. And we find that uh, it was destroyed, wasn't it? By the Lord. Those city, weak cities of the plain. Way back there. But here, Jerusalem, the holy city, where Jesus was crucified, had become so sinful... And so much like Sodom and Gomorrah, that that the Lord states here that they that this is, which spiritually, notice not literally, but spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. We know that that's in Jerusalem. Now then, so they were killed, and it says in verse. Uh, 9. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in in the graves. That's the way these witnesses will be treated. They'll be killed and they won't even be able to, they won't permit them to be buried. But it says in verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell, dwelt on the earth. They brought a lot of trouble to the people uh, in the way of judgment. And so they're rejoicing that they're gone, and they won't even let them be buried. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God, look at this, entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon uh, them which saw them. So their public service was vindicated. This is their public vindication. That they would lie in the streets for three and a half days. They would not suffer them to be buried. Well, it's just as well because God was going to give them life, right? And uh, he just have to bring... Bring them out of the grave if they had buried them, just like he did Lazarus after four days. Remember, they said Lazarus had been four, dead four days already. And Jesus came before that tomb and he said, uh, uh, Father, I know that thou hearest me always, but for the benefit of these people that stand by, I said it. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And The Bible says, He that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes. And Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. And so Lazarus was resurrected. But uh, here, these will be resurrected after three days. And not only resurrected, but there's going to be an ascension. God is going to take them immediately into heaven after their resurrection. The physical resurrection and a literal translation. And they heard a great voice, verse 12, From heaven saying unto them, Come up hither, just like it said to John in chapter four, verse one, come up hither. Just like when the trumpet sounds, God is going to say, "For you and I, come up hither." At the rapture, First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning with verse thirteen, and so it says, "And they ascended up into heaven, up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them." So the Lord not only resurrected them, but He also Uh, took them up into heaven. Just as a picture of you and I, as how we also shall ascend into heaven. Now verse 13, "...and the same hour was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were frightened." Now then, there's no reason to believe that this is not a literal earthquake that happened. And will happen in the area of Jerusalem. Where the the 7,000 men will be slain. And the rest of the people will be affrightened. It says they will be affrightened and gave glory to the God of heaven. Now in verse 14 it says, The second woe is past. Behold the third woe cometh quickly. Now, I want you to look very carefully at verse 15. Because this brings us to the very end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. Even though it's quoted right here, even though we have the information here, it brings us to the very end of it. It brings us down to the 20th chapter of... of uh, the book of Revelation, where you have the millennial kingdom. Now let's look at this, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, if you look back in chapter 10, verse 7, now hold this. Eleven, verse fifteen, and glance back at ten, verse seven, and it says the very same thing. It says, "But in the in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he had declared to his servants the prophets." You see what we're talking about? It was already said that when that seventh angel sounded, the the mystery of God would be finished. And as he had declared to his servants the prophets, the culmination of pointing to that Messiah's kingdom and the kingdom age, Revelation chapter 20, and you'll read in the 20th chapter, after Christ has come back in the 19th chapter, and you'll read in the 20th chapter, the millennial reign, a thousand year reign of righteousness and peace. And so here in this verse, 11 verse 15, look at it very carefully again. It brings us to the very end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. And let's read it once more. And the seventh angel sounded. That's what was predicted back there in the days of the seventh angel. The seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Now then we read in the 12th and 13th and 14th and 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th chapter of other things transpiring. Many things that John is telling about that's going to happen. But here we're told that there will be a time that the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So, I want to repeat again one thing that I said uh, as we are time and again as I've been teaching, is that all of this is not in a chronological order. It's just that John has all of this information uh, given to him, and he's trying to tell you all of it. Much the same way that I'm reading stuff here in this uh, 10th and 11th chapter that's happening over there in the, in the uh, 13th chapter that the beast descending out of the bottomless pit and so on that's connected with beasts. But I can't tell you all about the 13th chapter until I get there. And so John just has a mouthful to digest, doesn't he? In fact, he was told to take that little book and to eat it up. And he said, well, in his, as he digested it doesn't mean he literally ate it. Some wouldn't indicate that. But you know, you eat something, you digest something. We say that someone just just devoured that book. Well, does that mean that they took it and put it in their mouth and it went into their stomach? Or did they just read it? Well, anyway, however it was, that future prophecy that he digested in chapter 10, he said, I took the little book and, and uh, out of the angel's hand in verse 10, it says, and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. So what he's saying here is that there were uh, sweetness about it. There was a sweetness of its promises of blessings. We've already mentioned that as far as God's people were concerned. But there was bitterness as far as the persecution and judgments that were concerned. And so all of these follow on through. And John is revealing all of these things as he is able to to uh, speak them out to us, and as they're given to him, of course, it's all written down. And he, we have the record of it right here before us. But uh, let's get back to this. Uh, when you read in verse 15 again, and we'll go to verse 16. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, verse 16. And the four and twenty elders, now remember we run across those way back there in the uh, fourth chapter, and the fifth chapter, the fourth chapter, after John was taken up to heaven, and, and the four and twenty elders were there, representative, we've already pointed out how they were representative of the Old and New Testament governmentally, twelve and, 12, 24, and as priests in the Old Testament, they were representative of the of the of all of the priestly family of God, which would include everyone, because we are a kingdom of priests, the Bible tells us. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we are, as believers, we've been through this ground, are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And so they're representative of the redeemed in glory. The four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats... Remember, they sat upon thrones. The word seats sometimes means thrones. Fell upon their faces and worshiped God. It shows you that the believers are redeemed worship God. And they worship God only, by the way. In verse 17, it says, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come. In other words, the past and the present and the future. He, He art... Which art, that's the present, and was, that's the past, and art to come is the future. So he's the God of the past, present, and future, isn't he? Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Now when is he going to take that? Just like we said at the end of the, the tribulation period, he's going to take that great power and will reign. That's why it's all pointing to the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennium. Let me try to put this in perspective, if I may. The the tribulation period... First of all, let's go back and summarize. The first chapter shows a vision of Christ glorified. The things which thou hast seen, John had seen. Chapters 2 and 3 show us us the church age, and the churches are mentioned. And so at the end of the church age, in chapter 4, verse 1, John is called up to heaven. And shows us the things that will be hereafter. After the church age. After the saints are already gone. And they're already with the Lord in chapter 4, verse 1. And then they're seen with the Lord in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And they're seen singing the song of redemption in chapter 5. The 24 elders. And the redeemed. Thou hast redeemed us out of every nation, people, kindred, and tongue. Now then, so when you come down here. From that time forward, from chapter 6 on through to chapter 19, is the great tribulation period. So that's seven years. Seven years long. We have it divided into three and a half and three and a half. We've already mentioned that in this 11th chapter. So there's uh, tribulation and then the great or the terrible part of the tribulation. And then, when you come to chapter nineteen, we find Christ coming back to Earth in power and great glory, just as Matthew's Gospel, and Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel that He would come back in power and great glory. You shall see, Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And uh, so He's coming back. The Lord is not going to continue to stay in heaven, and neither are we. He's going to bring us back to this Earth. Some people say, well, we're going to live in heaven forever. No, not forever. It'll be heavenly because He's going to come back and and, uh, rule and reign a thousand years. You read Revelation chapter 20 and it says a thousand years. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And then He goes on to go into the eternal state of things in chapter 21 and chapter 22. The eternal state of all things. Uh, living creation and all of the redeemed and all of, of, of God's plan for eternity takes place. Now then, we don't know this whole program. God has given us the revelation. And that's all we can go on. We don't know all the details. I mean, you, you just give a sketch of something, you don't have all the, the details, do you? Of what's going to happen. But I'll tell you one thing, God knows all about it, and He has it all planned for us. And so we don't have to worry about it one bit in the world. So let's notice this. It says in verse 18, "And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, in the time of the dead that they should be judged." You see? He's bringing us to the end of things, isn't it? That they should be judged. And that thou shouldest give reward to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. See, this points to the time after the kingdom. It's symbolical of God's protection for Israel. Because we're going to find in the next uh, verse, 19, the ark of the covenant. And the covenant relationship with Israel. Now notice verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in His temple the ark of His testament. This is symbolical of God's uh, covenant with uh, Israel. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So on the one hand, blessings, isn't it? And on the other hand, judgments. Just like we studied back there when John was told to take that little book and devour it, eat it up. And there it would be sweet to his taste, but it would be bitter when he digested. it. And we said that that was sweetness in its promises of blessings, bitter in its predictions of sufferings, and that it contained prophecies to be declared to the nation of Israel. Now then, look at chapter 12. This is going to be interesting. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Someone says, how in the world are we going to understand this? Let me read a little bit at first. And she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, And seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered. For to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. Well now, who's to rule all nations? Christ, isn't it? With a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Now then, what's this all about? How do we identify this woman? Okay, let's go back to verse 1, and we'll try to expound something for you. This woman with child is Israel. And we can give you the the proof of it. There's only one place in the Bible where you find any symbolism like this. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. The book of Genesis, chapter 37. And if you don't study this book, you'll never understand what that's all about. Genesis, chapter 37. Jacob. Turn back there. The first book of the Bible, the 37th chapter. Now, Jacob was named Israel, wasn't he? Now, we're trying to identify that woman and what takes place. Remember that the child was born of that woman. And the child was Christ because we've already re, ready identified that he's to rule the nations with a rod of iron. We know there's no other ruler but Christ. We know he was born of Mary, a virgin, as far as after the flesh is concerned. He was fathered by the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say anything in the book of Revelation about his life as soon as he was born. He was taken up to heaven. Well, we know that in the transpiring of things, that was not what we were talking about. Is The life of Christ, we're talking about the fact that there was a ruler that came on the scene, that came of a woman. And the devil tried to destroy that ruler that was born. Now look at Genesis 37. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger. Now Jacob is Israel. You have uh, Genesis 37. Jacob is Israel. You know, his earthly name was Jacob. And then he uh, was called Israel after a certain period of time. God gave him another name. And then he had twelve sons. And they were the sons of Jacob, or the children of Israel. We know them to be the children of Israel. Or the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. We speak of them often, don't we? We've already seen the twelve, uh, 12 tribes of Israel when we saw the twelve thousand out of each tribe sealed as God's servants in the book of uh, Revelation. Now then, so, we are, we've already identified who He is. Now, let me read this. Verse 2. Well, let's read verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Uh, Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the, and the lad was with, his, uh, with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Ziph- Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. This is his brother's. Remember, they were envious of Joseph. Now, then, verse 3 says, now, look, instead of J- Jacob in verse 1, it says, now Israel... See that? Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So the brothers of Joseph, the eleven brothers hated Joseph. Uh, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Now look at verse 6. And he said unto them, "Hear, I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Joseph had a dream, and it involved his family. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Sheaves, they were binding them in the field. And he says, And lo, my sheaves arose. And also stood upright. Theirs were bind and they were lying on the ground, but his stood upright. And behold, your sheaves, this is the brethren, stood round about and made obeisance to my sheep, bowed down to me. Joseph's brethren bowed down to him, didn't they? And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us and Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now then, this second dream, verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, look, now these things are important because this ties us in with what we're finding about that woman. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars. Now, Joseph was the twelfth star because there were twelve sons. But he says, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. This was Joseph's dream. Now verse 10 says, and he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said, now his father was able to interpret this. What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I, that's the sun, shall I and thy mother, the moon, and thy brethren, the eleven stars, indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? That 10th verse is the key to it. When Joseph dreamed this dream and he saw the sun and the moon and the stars, the 11 stars, bowing down to him. Jacob says, Israel, Israel says, shall I and thy mother and thy brethren bow down to you? And he took that from the dream that Joseph had. Now turn back quickly. We could expound and expound on that. But turn back quickly to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1 again. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. So you have the sun and the moon and the stars. Now then, who did that represent of old, It represented... Israel. When we speak of Israel now, we speak of the sons of Jacob. Not really him himself, but ever since then, we speak of the children of Israel. Or we speak of Israel as a nation with twelve tribes. So here you have Israel identified. Clearly, very clearly. So it's the nation of Israel that brings forth the man-child. And the devil is ready to destroy anything that the nation of Israel brings forth. Remember, there was time and time again in the Old Testament when through the kings God tried to destroy that line from whence Christ would come. But now let's uh, let's see here. In verse 2, And she being with child uh, cried, and travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now then, let's deal with this for a moment. The woman with child is Israel. There was a time that Israel as a nation brought forth that man-child, uh, Jesus Christ. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 9. Let me give you something quick. Uh, verse 4 and 5. This is very important. Romans 9, verse 4 and 5. Paul is rehearsing some things, and then he says, Who are the Israelites? Speaking of them. To whom pertaineth the adoption What about the Israelites? The adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Remember, all these things pertain to to Israel. Verse 5 is the key. Whose are the fathers and of whom? Of whom? Israel or the Israelites. And of whom as concerning the flesh, Christ came. He came from Israel. Who is over all? God bless forever. Amen. Verse 5. Romans 9 verse 5 is very important. So he came of the nation of Israel. Okay, back in our text. Revelation 12 verse 1. Let me just point out as quickly as I may. Though Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary is not in view here. The nation as a whole is in view. Jesus was born of Mary. We know that she was of Israel too. So really, in being born of her was just another aspect of the fact that he was born of Israel or came from the nation of Israel. Because remember, her genealogy and Joseph's genealogy both are proven to be of the seed of David according to the flesh. And their genealogy and the nation of Israel is very important in, the, in their history. So, uh, the main thing you need to see is though that... Uh, Jesus came of Mary, according to the flesh, yet the nation is in view here instead of the individual. Instead of the individual person, Mary, the nation of Israel is in view because we're talking about that nation in this tribulation period. Now then, something else. Some people say, well, this represents, this woman represents the church. Jesus came. Jesus wasn't born of the church. Jesus established the church, didn't He? He didn't come from the church. The church came from Him. So it could not represent the church. Uh, there are many cults that claim to be this particular woman. By the way, the Christian scientists claim the founder of their faith to be the woman pictured here. Can you imagine that? Mary Mary Eddie Baker. And by the way, she had three husbands. There was Mary, Baker, uh, Baker, Eddie, and Glover, and Patterson. And she came on the scene in 1886. Uh, We're talking about a false claim. Can you imagine some individual person claiming to be the one that's spoken of here? I can't even imagine what how far out a person would have to go to believe that. And by the way, that's not the only thing. Uh, that's just one of many, many things that is false about that uh, religion, Christian science. In her book, Science and Health and Key to the Scriptures, she writes this. She says, now listen carefully. She says, and this is a quotation, there is no blood sacrifice, however great, Can atone for the sins of men. Now, then, if that's not outright denial of the redemptive blood of Christ, I don't know what is. Because there is a blood sacrifice, and it is great, and it can atone and redeem the sin, atone for the sins of men. And uh, so it's a contradiction of the scripture. But can you imagine her having the audacity to Claim to be, and her people, her followers, to claim that this woman was her, well now here we 've already shown that it is the nation of Israel, verse two, and she being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, wonder in heaven, and behold a great red dragon, this is a wonder or a sign, a wonder is a sign. Uh, A great red dragon, we know that dragon is Satan, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. We'll go into the crowns and horns and all of this. Satan is the oppressor. He's the dragon. In fact, down in verse uh, 9, glance down to 12 verse 9 and you'll see that he's identified very specifically And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, all the names that are given to him, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, verse 12, uh, I mean, verse 9 in chapter 12 identifies who it is. Now, quickly, let me give you this. So, we find that immediately he was ready to devour that man child as soon as he was born. Did not Herod and all the evil powers in the days of the birth of Christ try to kill Jesus immediately when He came into being? And it's tied in with that persecution that came in the early days of Jesus. Remember, Joseph and Mary had to flee into Egypt because of the anger of Herod. And they were warned of God in a dream. They fled into Egypt. And they didn't come out of Egypt after Christ's birth until the... And of course he was an infant then, maybe up to two years old because we have reason to believe that. But at the time, Herod was after him because he slew all the children from two years old and under. But he did not come back out of Egypt until after the death of Herod, right? Because he was the one that was persecuting. And though it was Joseph and Mary in that case, we're still talking about the nation because we're going to see that that child was caught up into heaven. Jesus did ascend into heaven after his life and after his crucifixion and resurrection. And then we find that during this tribulation period we're going to find that this woman, Israel, is going to be continue to be persecuted not only when Christ was born but throughout the tribulation period she's going to be persecuted. The nation. This woman flees into the wilderness. We know that uh, it's maybe what Mary did is symbolical of what happened here, in a sense. But it's literal here that she's going to flee for protection during the judgments of, of the tribulation period. Our time has gone and passed. So I'm going to have to close. We'll pick up in this twelfth chapter. Uh, we could spend time and time on each verse because it's, there's going to be a lot of things here that we need to know and understand. But read this 12th chapter carefully with Israel as a nation in mind. And this woman representing Israel as a nation, in fact, she'll be spoken of as fleeing for protection, even from the onslaughts of the dragon, the oppressor. We'll talk about the oppressor and about his horns and his heads and his power and and how he seeks to destroy this woman and is already destroyed.